You're listening to KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked, our weekly podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. I'm news director Kyle Mackey. Coming up on today's show, the opening might not have been easy, but it's Snow King Mountain's first season with a new gondola and expanded ski train. It's been awesome. A lot of buzz around Snow King this year. Plus, a conversation with Ryan Stolp, the creator of Liftline's comics. Everyone's kind of in on the mountain town context, so I can pull some different levers that a national cartoonist might not. But first, at one point earlier this month, Teton County had the highest COVID-19 case rate per capita in the country. Many other Western mountain towns were also at the forefront of the Omicron surge in our region, but hospitalizations and deaths have so far remained low in the resort communities. K-12's Will Walkie reports. The sun is starting to peak out around lunchtime at the COVID-19 testing kiosk at the Teton County Library, and folks are trickling in for a variety of reasons. To be honest, I, this is the first time I think I'm actually feeling any symptoms. Well, before I go around breathing on people again, and I, you know, I, I, I haven't gone to the, I haven't skied or hit the pool. Somebody tested positive in my office today, so that's why I'm here. There are 734 active coronavirus cases in the valley as of press time, still the highest rate per 100,000 people in Wyoming and one of the top rates in the country. Sickness and quarantines are impacting local schools, ski resorts, and nearly every business in town. For the first time in several months, the virus is prevalent in the everyday lives of a large percentage of residents. I don't want to be part of the cause. I want to be part of the solution, you know, and help keep our town open because we, we so much depend on the tourism here. We have two um, very young kids who are both in daycare. So um, every time it's like really stressful because nearly every week there's a new report of some um, other child um, getting sick. So it's always a worry that maybe our kids pick it up. I don't want to worry about it because I'm diabetic. And when you have an underlying condition, it really can be bad. So I'm not going to worry about that. Hopefully I test negative. One silver lining, if you can call it that, is that Teton County isn't alone even by regional standards. Jonathan Godis is mayor of Glenwood Springs, Colorado, a mountain town between Vail and Aspen. He says he went to the local ski hill with his daughter in early January, only to find that half the lifts were closed due to staff being out with COVID exposure. We in the mountain communities had to grapple with it several weeks before other communities had to really, really think about it. So we, we had a head start on it. And then again, because of the service sector, uh, the, the people who are cleaning the hotel rooms, people that are waiting on tables. Those kind of people do not have the ability to work from home and to stay isolated. Blaine County, home of Sun Valley, was the first to experience a surge in new cases in Idaho. And Gallatin County, where Big Sky is located, is currently leading Montana. Meanwhile, Godis says visitor numbers and sales tax revenue have been breaking records in his county ever since the pandemic began. The stresses that come with increased tourism, now exacerbated by the recent Omicron surge, haven't gone away yet. And so I worry about just kind of community fatigue. Um, I worry that, you know, we thought we were done when the vaccines came out. We really did. We didn't know how politicized vaccines would be. 
Hospitals and major resort areas throughout the region have remained stable thus far. No crisis standards of care and no troubles with transferring folks with serious cases to bigger hospitals in Denver or Salt Lake City. That's according to Dr. Paul Beaupre, former CEO of St. John's Health in Jackson. Beaupre says maintaining staffing and getting the latest treatments to the area have been recent challenges, but not ICU or bed capacity. It's not really a health care crisis any longer. It, it is very disruptive to the community, but it's, again, something that will help us ultimately learn how to live with it. Teton County has by far the highest vaccination rate in the Cowboy State at around 87% of residents, according to State Department of Health data. Similarly, Summit County, home of Park City, leads in Utah, and Colorado's most inoculated towns include Telluride, Steamboat, and Breckenridge. Beaupre says that's certainly a factor as to why mountain towns haven't seen hospitalizations and deaths increase this year at the same rates as elsewhere in the country. We got out ahead of this pretty well. We began to socially distance early on. We asked for help with masking early on. So I think as a community, we really have done the right thing. Beaupre also says people in resort communities tend to be healthier on average than in surrounding areas. And someday, he hopes there's a study about how living at altitude affects COVID-19 symptoms. In the meantime, he says people should continue to listen to guidance from local healthcare experts. I've almost in many ways tuned out the messaging nationally at this point and believe in what we're doing locally. And we should continue doing that in the spirit of cooperation and not in the spirit of animosity. Beaupre thinks COVID case numbers should begin to decline by at least mid-February. And he's crossing his fingers that hospitalizations remain low. Still, he says Omicron will continue to disrupt the local economy in the coming weeks. The prevalence of home testing, or people just staying home and not testing at all when they feel sick, means there's also likely to be an undercount in the official case numbers in Jackson Hole. For KHOL News, I'm Will Walkie. Snow King opened this season with a new gondola and expanded ski terrain, including a new bowl on the backside of the mountain. But the late arrival of snow meant that it wasn't an easy opening for any of the local resorts. KHOL's Kyle Mackey reports from the town hill about how locals are responding to the new amenities and how the king is preparing for a future with less snow. Standing in the sun at the base of Snow King's new gondola on a not-too-cold afternoon, it was a beautiful Bluebird Wednesday to get in a few lunchtime laps. There was just one little glitch. We're shut down Folks, for a few minutes. Uh, for maintenance. Sorry. Something's going wrong. They should have it going in the next half hour, I think. You can hop on Cougar, though, right there. Oh, Cougar's running. Hell yeah. There you go. Damn it, I gotta walk. <laughs> Ryan Stanley is president and general manager of Snow King Mountain, and I just happened to meet him for an interview right after the gondola stopped running. You know, it's a brand new machine, and we're figuring out uh, how it works and the kinks and all the different things. And so far, it's actually been super consistent and good, and we've had very few problems this season, actually. Stanley also says he's been getting positive feedback from the community about the changes at the resort. 
I get texts, you know, every other day from folks that are like, whoa, I'm so impressed with what you guys did here. I can't even believe it. It's like a whole different mountain. And um, so that's pretty cool to hear. And, and uh, it's been a ton of work over the past year to get to this point. A lot of buzz around Snow King this year. Um, a lot of locals coming out. Jack Ford of East Jackson is a regular skier at the Town Hill. The gondola has been incredible, very high speed. Gets you up there real quick. Kind of miss the uh, summit lift in some ways. Just, uh, you know, had some sentimental value, but no, it's great. Get to warm up and uh, zip right on up there. Some other locals though, like Abby Pafrath, still prefer to earn their turns with an uphill approach. Yeah, I work three days a week. I have an office in town, and so on my lunch break, instead of going to get something to eat, I put something in my bag and start walking up and have some snack at the top and ski down and go back to work. It's awesome. Neither Ford nor Pafrath had tried the new backside terrain in the south-facing Leaks Canyon yet when they talked to KHOL. But ski instructor Kai Hoffman says it's been great for his students. It's opened up a lot of the mountain for us. Um, it's given us more possibilities, especially with some beginner uh, skiers here as well as intermediate. We added two more carpets up at the top of the gondola as well. So, yeah, we're looking pretty good right now. We're pretty happy with all the new changes that we made this year. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, everybody go ski out with Kai. All right, let's head on up and then we squeeze maybe one more in. Of course, not everyone in town was excited about the Snow King expansion. Many local residents, environmental organizations, and even the Jackson Town Council expressed concerns about everything from impacts on local wildlife to changing the character of the town hill. KHOL also asked Stanley if he worries about the impact of climate change on the resort, with a recent study predicting that some parts of the Mountain West could be without snow for years at a time in as little to 35 to 60 years from now. We've actually focused big time on diversifying uh, year-round, which most ski resorts haven't. We were ahead of the game in 1978 when they installed the uh, Alpine Slide here. And that was for decades the lifeblood, frankly, of the ski area. Stanley also says snowmaking will be a critical technology for ski resorts moving forward. And that's something Snow King is no stranger to. Right now, for example, machines are hard at work to try and fill in the new backside terrain. We're definitely less than half the snowfall that um, Targi or Jackson Hole gets on average here at Snow King. So we have to depend on snowmaking in order to, to guarantee it. But even with new snowmaking infrastructure installed this season, Stanley says it would still be nice to get a little more of the natural stuff. Kyle Mackey, K-12 News. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked from KHOL. I'm News Director Kyle Mackey, and this is our weekly podcast featuring reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming up next... KHOL Music and Community Affairs Director Jack Catlin interviews Ryan Stolp, the artist behind Liftline's comics, ahead of his release of a new graphic novel. This conversation was recorded live in the KHOL studios in mid-January. Ryan Stolp is a cartoonist, illustrator, and marketing professional based here in Jackson, 
Stolp is the co-founder of Origin Media, a full-service digital and marketing agency, as well as the creator of the popular Lift Lines Comics, a three times per week comic in the JH Newsing Guide and published on Instagram. In advance of the release of his graphic novel, The Ski Town Fairy Tale, Ryan Stolp joins us now in the KHL studios. The LiftLine's Instagram account has become a valuable community forum where people from all sides can comment. Do you set out to provoke discussion or does it just happen naturally? LiftLine's in particular is a really special avenue because it kind of allows a public commentary on a local event or a national event, but everyone's kind of in on the mountain town context. So I can pull some different levers that a national cartoonist might not. It does draw a lot of different-sided comments. There's been a lot of vitriol on there, hundreds of comments and anger on both sides. It's been really surprising and a little disheartening sometimes to just see people talking past each other. And a lot of people are like, oh, Ryan, you should, you need to block that person. You need to delete these comments. And I really feel like deleting someone because you don't agree with that just doesn't help help it, even if it's not the healthiest conversation. I think it's important to everyone air their laundry. And Mm -hmm. I would say there's a couple instances where people have come around to some mutual understanding and uh, that definitely makes it, makes it worth it. Your graphic novel, who you co-authored with Sam Morse is called the ski town fairy tale. And it's about chasing the dream in a ski town. What made you decide to make a long form graphic novel and how did the concept come to be? So Sam Morse used to live in Jackson and he wrote the Bumyan, which was a TGR kind of like graphic satirical post. And he moved to Salt Lake City a couple years ago and ended up reaching out to me because he knew lift lines. And he had been mulling over this idea of a ski town fairy tale. And he really wanted to tell a kind of deeper story about ski towns. I think it gets idolized and kind of put on a pedestal in a lot of ways. And he was someone that, you know, really dealt with all sides of the complexities of, uh, you know, making it work here. He reached out to me and uh, we started riffing on the idea and ended up putting together this a deeper story. And I told him like, hey, I'm, I'm really, I want to draw it in this style. Um, I know that you know lift lines, but I wanted a kind of new challenge. Lift lines is a quick get the concept out there. Um, and this graphic novel is a, a much more intentional, polished kind of format. What exactly is that dream? And how has the vision of that dream shifted in recent years? We kind of like start the story off with uh, FOMO. It's kind of a digital addiction. You know, everyone is curating their online worlds and their social media accounts. And I think that it's easy to think that what you're seeing on people's feeds is them living the dream. But there's certainly some self-editing that's going on. So what is the dream? I think they're kind of moralistic aspirations, you know, being true to yourself, adventuring, having fun, um, living in the moment. But I think that it's getting more complicated in a world of work. You know, you're always plugged in. It's harder to kind of be simple and, and, and be present, I would say. And then you have a lot of economic factors. So as outdoor recreation has exploded. There is a demand and a competition to live in these places. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are regulations. You can't camp in your van like you used to in the 70s, wherever you want. So it's getting harder and harder and harder. Uh, Look at the rising price of lift tickets or the equipment to do things. So we discussed a lot about what it means to live the dream in Mm -hmm. developing this, this story. And hopefully it starts a conversation because I think the dream is a bit of a mindset. It's kind of 
how you approach life. I think it needs to evolve beyond a place or a time or an activity because those things are really up for discussion right now as far as their viability. So the ski town, and specifically here in Jackson Hole, can feel like a bubble, a self-contained and at sometimes crazy universe. What is it about the culture of ski towns that you think creates this kind of atmosphere? I've noticed living here, you're kind of always like one foot in a vacation because the people around you are all on vacation and they're here to spend money, go out every night. And when you are a resident here, you're constantly buffeted by those winds. And then when you have people saying, oh, look where I live. It's so beautiful. I got stuck in a bison jam this morning. I think Instagram has really elevated these places as a status symbol and created uh, more competition with the limited space, housing, jobs, opportunities in these communities that's really turned out the heat on what it means to, to try and make it here. It requires a certain amount of extra effort to live here. And mm -hmm. I think when everyone can share in that kind of like, yeah, I'm really trying to make it work. I'm putting my values first and saying I'm willing to hold two jobs to be able to share in this lifestyle is really powerful and super cool. And, and I think something that's missing in a lot of people's, you know, intentional day-to-day -day lives. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the that's the silver lining, the beauty of a ski town. It does spit people out though. And whether you like uh, burn, burn hot and fast um, and get ejected or you're hanging on for dear life, uh, there's some weird dynamics that kind of compound and happen quicker in a time frame than maybe your arc had you lived in a different way. Yeah, like, and sometimes life. it's luck, sometimes it's not, you know. Totally. But it mirrors that like live in the moment thing. You don't know how long it's going to last. You know, you're a local when every day you wake up and you're like, is this where I need to be in a year? Can it work? Like, am I going to regret being in this like, like a no man's land? You can find Liftlands comics three times per week in the GH News and Guide and on Instagram at Liftlands underscore comics. Make sure to visit 891KHOL.org for more music, news, and culture. I'm Jack Catlin, and this is KHOL Jackson. Our last story today is part of a reporting project with Rocky Mountain Community Radio about the transition away from fossil fuels across the Mountain West. As the climate continues to dry and warm across Colorado, fire mitigation efforts such as forest thinning are becoming more important. But the wood often ends up in a landfill or otherwise wasted. One company in Durango is working to change that. KSUT's Sarah Flower visited their facility to learn more. Timber Age Systems Incorporated is the first producer of cross-laminated timber, or CLT, in the Southwest. CLT was developed in Europe over 20 years ago as a replacement for steel and concrete walls, floors, and ceilings in large-scale buildings. It's made by gluing boards together in alternating layers at right angles to one another. And what makes TimberAge unique in their CLT process is that they use 3-inch ponderosa pine that's been sourced from fire mitigation on both public and private lands. This technique is more often used in urban settings 
Andy Hawk, one of the co-founders of Timber Age and his team, work diligently in a small facility located in a remote area of Durango while they develop a system of how to create more CLT buildings in rural settings. What we've been working on is how do you shrink the whole process to be able to use smaller trees from fire mitigation, beetle-killed material, um, substandard saw logs, things that don't sort of meet the commercial needs for dimensional lumber for 2x4s and 2x6s and 2x8s. We're trying to use that material that isn't used in those processes. And so we've had to sort of shrink the traditional form factor for cross-laminated timber. But what it opens up is the ability to use this material in smaller buildings that are more common in rural communities. The evidence of the efficiency for CLT is mounting in some of the bigger settings, but Hawk says that information is still needed for these small-scale projects. It's been proven dramatically that CLT-based buildings can have environmental performance that are 70 to 80 percent more efficient, so it requires far less energy to heat and cool and maintain an environment within the structure. It's also been demonstrated that solid wood mass timber buildings have higher air quality within the building themselves, but that's been at a very urban scale, and there are no data to demonstrate how that looks at the rural scale, and so we're climbing that hill right now. Part of that uphill battle is the need to build more. TimberAge has received an over $400,000 grant from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment Recycling Resources Economic Opportunity Program to build a nearly 3,000-square-foot facility in La Plata County that Hawk says could expand the company's capacity nearly four times what it is now and help increase their use of locally harvested ponderosa pine. The vision for growth behind Timber Age is to find communities and partners that are interested in having sort of a micro-manufacturing facility that works directly with them in their community and with their forest. So yes, we believe we're ready to grow. The grant that we just received from CDPHE is going to allow us to build our own CLT-based factory and quadruple our current production, but that's about as big as we see ourselves getting right here in Durango. And so then is it a facility in Montezuma County, or is it a facility in the San Luis Valley, or somewhere further up the Western Slope? Um, and we're talking with an organization in California that from an environmental, like an actual ecosystem standpoint and a forest standpoint is not all that different than Southwest Colorado about the potential to build a plant in the Northern Sierra. Hawk says that designing in building with integrative CLT system can offer 40% faster assembly with 25 less percent expenses and is net zero ready. Part of the success of Timber Age for Hawk in adopting these new systems is not only a learning curve, but also partnering with innovative professionals, local builders, architects, all while working closely with the U.S. and Colorado Forest Service. Reporting for KSUT News, I'm Sarah Flower.
Now for the weekly news roundup. Here are the headlines you might have missed this past week. Representatives from the two landowning families of a 225-acre plot in northern South Park gave their opinions on the proposed development plan of their land during a meeting Thursday. Currently, a proposal is in place that would build about 1,200 new units south of Jackson, 70% of which would be deed-restricted in an effort to preserve local affordability. However, Kelly Lockhart, one landowner looking to sell a part of his ranch to diversify his economic portfolio, says there are some fatal flaws in the plan and that he wouldn't currently support it. My family, I think I can say, doesn't have have a lot of confidence in where we are at this stage of the process from where we started. And, you know, that's that's very unfortunate. The landowners are going through this collaborative process, featuring planning consultants and a group of local citizens acting as a steering committee because they're trying to upzone their land through Teton County. Many local elected officials see Northern South Park as one of the last areas in Teton County that could, if planned right, meaningfully add affordable housing to Jackson Hole. Law enforcement and public safety officials shared updates on their departments during a Jackson Town Council meeting Tuesday. And similar to other local agencies, staff capacity remains a major challenge. Fire Chief for Teton County Fire EMS Brady Hansen says his department is behind on hiring and maintaining its ranks. Seems like every month I lose a good volunteer because of housing or because of you know, jobs or, or family or other factors. Uh, so, so we're struggling to keep up with that attrition. The staffing stress comes in addition to a 40% increase in calls over the past three years. Hansen says Fire EMS is upgrading equipment, facilities, and local rules and regulations as needed in order to keep up with the escalating community needs. On the police side, Chief Michelle Weber says the detective department is especially swamped right now. Together, our detective division currently has 25 open cases, of which 17 of them are felony cases. The felony cases include sexual assaults, delivery of controlled substances, burglary, um, that particular one is over 40,000, an embezzlement case over 60,000, and a theft case over 10,000. Weber and Hansen's reports prompted town elected officials to say they'll have to keep the lack of bandwidth among law and safety enforcement officials in mind as they explore new initiatives that might require legal teeth in the future. Some potential enforcement needs include issues related to bear conflict mitigation, pedestrian and e-bike safety, and parking regulations. An interagency group working for local public lands organizations is asking backcountry skiers to avoid certain sections of the Teton Range. The effort is trying to maintain the winter ranges and habitats of bighorn sheep in the area, which studies show are disrupted by recreators when they're in their most vulnerable states, trying to survive in harsh, high-elevation environments. Sarah Dewey, wildlife biologist for Grand Teton National Park and member of this working group since 2003, said in an interview with KHOL that the group is looking to compromise with the backcountry community through education campaigns like this, as well as some eventual terrain closures. You know, it's not our intention to close people out of the Tetons um, in perpetuity, but we, we are committed to, you know, securing a future for the sheep. And that may mean that um, people need to stay out of some areas. There's certainly a lot of areas where people can still recreate. 
Several agencies are also commenting on the proposed expansion of Grand Targi Resort, which as planned would impede on high-quality sheep habitat. Original proposals have already been scaled back, and a few alternatives to the expansion are in the works. But multiple biologists have already weighed in, saying Teton Canyon in particular should be preserved for the estimated 100-animal sheep herd. That's it for today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is by the local band Strombucket. As a reminder, you can help us spread the word about Jackson Unpacked by leaving a rating and a review for the show in Apple Podcasts. I'm Kyle Mackey, and this is KHOL Jackson. Jackson.